Hey everyone, Brandon Hall with an important programming note for you. This will be my final episode hosting Freelance to Founder. It's been an incredible journey and I've loved producing every episode of this show. Here's what that means. First, Freelance to Founder will continue. Preston Lee himself will be taking over. Hey everyone. Giving you a phenomenal how-to show in the full spirit of Freelance to Founder. I've been co-producing this podcast for the last two years with Brandon, and I have to say we are going to miss him incredibly. This change gave us a chance to rethink what Freelance to Founder could be for the thousands of you that tune in each week. And as part of the all-new Freelance to Founder podcast, we want to incorporate your voices. He's taking on Fiverr as a topic right out of the gates as he relaunches the show. (laughs) That's right. Have you used Fiverr to find freelance clients? Do you think Fiverr is a worthwhile place for freelancers to spend their time? Or do you think Fiverr should be completely shut down? You can share your voice with us by calling 1-706-99-VOICE. I'm excited to move into this next phase of Freelance to Founder together with you, our listeners. And Brandon's going to be working on some pretty cool stuff on his own as well. I'm launching a brand new business show called Subdivisions. The first episode launches the first week of January as well, and there are numerous huge guests lined up. This will be a show very different from Freelance to Founder with a bigger focus on the backstories, the adversity, and even a spotlight on the neighborhoods and communities we represent literally and from a business perspective. Come visit me at subdivisions.fm and I'll let you know when we're officially live. Now, on with this episode of Freelance to Founder. Once I sold my company, I was sitting around thinking, and what am I going to do with my life? Uh, so I'm sitting there contemplating what I was going to do. Do I go work for somebody else? Do I start another freight company? So I was like, what do I enjoy? I enjoy people. I enjoy business. And, and I just kind of enjoy sitting around talking to amazing uh, individuals. And I was like, we might be onto something here. Welcome to Freelance the Founder, where I dig into the stories of freelancers and solopreneurs who have scaled their businesses to something much bigger than themselves. In today's episode, I introduce you to Ever Gonzalez, founder of Outlier. You know, so many of our stories involve leaders who have deep knowledge in a specific area, like last week's episode with Ted Evers and his company, TripTuner, or Emily Mills and her expertise in sketchnoting, or Michael Port's brilliance as a public speaker. But what if you've cashed out of one business and just want to go all in on an industry that's fascinating to you, but not something you necessarily have deep experience in? Can you make it? Can you serve a community and grow a business in that way? Short answer, yes. In this episode, you'll hear how and why Ever started Outlier. It was just a simple podcast at first, and he was originally from the freight and transportation industry. But you'll hear how he turned a grassroots love for finding unique stories of, well, people who are outliers, and turn those into a profitable media and events business that's put on numerous festivals across the country based out of little St. George, Utah. You'll hear what he's learned about serving a niche community and how he's thinking even bigger for the coming year. In just one moment, let's get to my conversation with Ever Gonzalez of Outlier. 
Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Mr. Evan Gonzalez, it is more than an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while now. It's about time. It seems kind of strange that I keep interviewing founders of things, whether they're product companies or agencies or service providers, software, whatever, and I haven't made a point of bringing you on. It just doesn't really make sense. I guess the timing needed to be perfect, and I guess this is the best time to do it. So I'm excited about this. Well, plus you're a busy man. This has been the extremely busy season for you the last yeah. six months or so. Yeah, and it's funny. So now, yeah, not now it's I'm I'm breathing a little bit for the next uh, month and a half or so, and then it's going to get busier again. But uh, yeah, no, we've been uh, we've been all over the place for sure. This this uh, this it's been a full year full of cool stuff. So what's neat about your background and why I feel like it, you're a perfect fit for a show like Freelance to Founder is you had a background for years in doing one thing, doing like you literally were an industry guy in an industry, which we'll get to. And uh, well, I will have already shared with the audience what that industry is in my intro, but, um, but you were, you were like this industry was your thing. Freight was your, your thing. So what you're doing now is is I can't wait to get into the story because as much as I feel like we've gotten to know each other uh, each other over the last few months, I don't know that transition story yeah. like at all. So yeah. why don't we start from the present day and then we'll go back in time a little bit and fill in the fill in the details on how you arrived at where you're at today. You are the the CEO and founder of Outlier, which has many elements to it. I like to describe it as sort of a, a media and events company. Um, and there, that even sounds vague, but there are so many pieces that have emerged from media and events and will emerge, I suspect from the, (laughs) under the banner of media and events. But what can you tell us about what outlier is today? As far as how many, how many podcasters are involved, how many, uh, how many contributors are involved and what you've accomplished, um, in the, say the last year or so. Yeah, it's funny. So what, what outlier is today is, um, actually quite a bit different than what it was when we first started. And and we'll get into that here in just a bit, but right now, yeah, we we consider ourselves a media and events company. We host uh, events all over the U S podcasting festivals all over the U S right. We've been to Austin, Denver, LA twice here in Southern Utah. We have 2020 lined up already as well, but uh, we, we are focusing on podcasting uh, now exclusively Um, events, masterclasses, those type of things. But, yeah, we we've had a fun time kind of putting these festivals together and seeing these these amazing podcasters, creative people coming together and doing amazing things, right? And I think face to face is when the magic happens. Um, and and so you know we've had kind of people and advisors and you know just friends that I talked to that were like, yeah, take this online and have these you know online kind of uh, summits and things like that. But I'm like, yeah, I guess we can scale that and then be fine, but it doesn't beat the magic that happens when you're in a room uh, full of 150 podcasters kind of doing their thing and exchanging ideas. And uh, that's where I kind of 
uh, feel the most comfortable for sure in a smaller, intimate setting with cool people. You know, my wife accuses me of uh, not working for the last six years, which is kind of true, right? Because I, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't been at this a hundred percent of my time. But when I do it, it's fun. We make some money, but it's I would do it honestly. I would do it for free if that was the case because I'm having so much fun. It's the strangest thing. You you leave the freight industry, and actually, before you left the freight industry, really, Outlier became a thing. Um, there was an overlap there, obviously, because something you felt like you were onto something. Since leaving the freight industry, you got into doing uh, events and consulting work, and still do for entrepreneurs. Uh, and they're not just entrepreneurs that are in the podcast space. Um, but but this podcast thing is is taking hold. It, every, everyone's a podcaster now. There are jokes about it all over the place. And I've had at least a couple past guests on who are making a living full-time, making a living full-time from their podcasts. And while you've got your own podcast, 450-some episodes or something like that, that's not the basis of your business. So this isn't the story of a guy who starts a podcast up and then does, you know, um, uh, goes bonkers with sponsorship money and all that sort of thing. You have an entirely different involvement. Like it's genuinely a medium production company. The podcast piece just happens to be the community that you're serving. So there's a lot of bases that we'll cover here, but but I guess the first one that I would ask for is why is this space so appealing to you to begin with? What what what's so intriguing to you about the podcast space? Yeah, so we started focusing on entrepreneurship and and startups and and that type of world, and it was great and it's fun, and we're still kind of have a, a foot in there as well. But the podcasting scene, um, there are so many different uh people doing literally all different types of podcasting and nobody seems to be competing it's it doesn't feel like a cutthroat industry so when we kind of get together and somebody else has a a show like mine i I don't feel like man these guys are taking downloads for me or an audience for me we we sit down and you and i sit down and we kind of talk about our audiences and it feels like we're sharing uh these great ideas and and so first of all it's the people that make it interesting Right, the podcasters themselves, whether it's an indie podcaster or somebody that's been in the industry for quite a while, they're so giving. Like it sounds funny and cliche, but it's it's like a family for sure. Everywhere we go, everybody is so uh, into it, and they want to see each other succeed. And so that's what has been really appealing to me. So that's what's emerged over the years. When you first got going with this back in 2013, a good six years ago. While there are a core group of people who were into podcasting back then, um, it was not anywhere near mainstream six years ago. What got you into this and started that pivot process from the, your, past, your past life in the freight industry? Yeah, so we, we get into the DSX here in just a bit, but uh, from freight management that I've been doing for 15, 20 years before that, um, once I sold my company, I was sitting around thinking, and what am I going to do with my life, right? And I, I kind of had a little bit of an exit, uh, exit, and and it was a little bit successful. Uh, so I'm sitting there contemplating what I was going to do. Do I go work for somebody else? Do I start another freight company? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to put pressure on myself to figure it out right now. Um, let me sit on it for a little while, right? I, luckily, we have a little bit of a cushion to kind of sit on it for a little bit. Uh, and then I was like, well, I don't want to sit around and in the house all day. My wife would would obviously kick me out. And I don't want to go golfing every single day because um, it would get tiring after a while. So I was like, what do I enjoy? I enjoy people. 
I enjoy business and, and I just kind of enjoy sitting around talking to amazing uh, individuals. And I was like, well, heck you could have started up a restaurant for that. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So, we, but the, the easiest thing was, you know, being able to, to reach out to people that I admire, uh, people that are running cool businesses and say, Hey, you want to come on my podcast? And that was a whole lot different in 2013 than it is now. Right. Uh, and so people were like, absolutely, let's do this. And so as we started the show, like you mentioned, we have 400 plus episodes now, but in the beginning, um, you know, the first 10 episodes were, when I listened to them now, they weren't the best, but it was good enough where people were excited about it and listening to it. And we were getting, you know, decent number of downloads. And I was like, we might be onto something here. So from the podcast, we, we opened up a co-working space here in Southern Utah. We started, uh, uh, the events and everything in the beginning was focused on entrepreneurship. And we played in that space for two and a half, three years before we started to make the transition into podcasting. Um, I, I just, I think I felt like there were too many players uh, with deeper pockets and all that good stuff, doing amazing things in, in entrepreneurship with events and media and all that stuff. And it was great. And we still kind of, like I said, have uh, a little bit of a hold in that, in that space, but uh, it's just been a whole different ball game since we kind of focused on on podcasting. What you said about entrepreneurship and how many people have their fingers in that world and providing events and and so forth for the entrepreneurial uh, world, you, the same could be said for the co working space world as well. That's a, another space that's blowing up. Um, actually, it's blowing up literally if you take a look at what's happening with WeWork right now in the news. But um, that's another interesting space. The funny thing about a, a lot of this to me is the fact that this is all happening in the mind of a guy who's based in St. George, Utah. Not, not San Francisco, LA, New York, Seattle, or one of these you know, fast-paced, uh, burgeoning hubs, Austin, um, yeah. any of those types of places. It's happening in, it's happening in St. George. And, yeah, we barely um, have 100,000 people here in, in St. George. Um, yeah, but there are some cool people here and we have a, a lot of ideas. And, and in the beginning, right, it was just everything focused around Southern Utah, right? Our, our co-working space, our events, although we had people coming out from out of town, it was, we were trying to grow the entrepreneurship community uh, here in Southern Utah. And I, I'd like to think that we succeeded a little bit and, you know, we helped some startups kind of get their, their start and we brought in mentors from uh, other cities to kind of do their stuff. And it was successful and it was fun, but there was a cap, right? We, we couldn't do more. And we were kind of running out of ideas and running out a little bit of steam. And uh, revenue wise, we weren't there to support all the time and effort that we were kind of putting into it. And so, you know, I, again, I sat on it for a little bit and was like, well, let's just kind of do this podcast festival here in St. George uh, two and a half years ago. And it was fun and it was great. And I was like, well, we already know how to do this stuff. Why don't we just kind of do podcasting events? And from the very first one where we had almost a hundred people, right. To LA and everywhere else we've gone, it just, it's continuing to pick up steam and more people are, are getting into it. And I'm having a whole lot of fun and it's not going to stop anytime soon. So over the last year you've put on, um, if we just literally go for a 12 month calendar, you've put on four events at least that I know of, right? Um, four podcast events. And as opposed to other industries events, including the podcast industry, where it's one destination, one event for the year, everybody flocks to that location and you're overwhelmed. It's sensory overload because there's thousands of people there, which sounds great. It sounds great. And I'm sure in a lot of ways it is, but, um, instead of having the one single destination, 
the approach that you're taking about this, even as a person who understands events and um, ho- ho- you know hosting events, the space uh, requirements and all of that sort of thing, all the planning s- steps that are involved, you chose to do it like on a regional basis where the events have a much smaller feel to it. And I feel a little bit like the brand is outlier. The name has like a rebellious feel to it. You know, I could ask you a lot of practical questions right now about how did you choose to start doing regional events and, and how did you choose the cities that you went after? But before we even get into any of that sort of practical stuff, I'm curious about this notion of an outlier. Um, that's the heart of, the, of your brand. Um, it's not Ever's company per se, although everybody that's associated with it knows Ever leads the charge. Why is this notion of an being, you know, supporting outliers so important to you? Because you don't just mean outliers as in um, overachievers necessarily. I think you have a different, different, different mindset what an outlier is. Why is that audience of, of outliers so important to you? Yeah, because because I, I feel like I'm an outlier, right? I think I think most people feel like they're an outlier in in some way. Uh, throughout their lives and business, personal life, all that stuff. I, I think that we feel like we're different than the norm, right? With the way we think, our creative uh, uh, juices, all that good stuff. And so being able to find those people is, is something that's very appealing to me. Again, just because I feel like I am one of those. Uh, and there are huge industry events and we support them and we love them uh, and they support us, right? But yeah, I want to go after the the guy, now that we're podcasting, the guy in his basement, in his closet, doing a great show, right? Uh, in his spare time or, or the, the stay home mom that has this great, uh, amazing, uh, experience with podcasting, but they're not necessarily household names and I'm okay with it. I want those people in our community. I want to be able to offer support. I want to be able to bring in experts and, uh, different ideas to kind of help them grow. Uh, and that's where I feel the most comfortable, right? I'm, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, um, I think that's where I get a lot of my energy and, and why we do this. And, you know, it's funny in the beginning, you were, you were starting to talk about these practical questions and why this and why that. Uh, and I'll tell you up until 2020 that's coming up, this has been just kind of a hobby for me outlier, right? It's, it hasn't been uh, a full-time job. I haven't put in all my, my, the time and resources and all that stuff to run it like a business. And because I wasn't running it like a business, I just kind of did things that I, wanted to do with people that I wanted to do it with and you know these crazy ideas and all that stuff we did it why we're doing three festivals a year because I like to travel and why not do this my my kids are homeschooled right so they get to come with me for for a lot of these events we picked Austin I have family in Austin I wanted to go hang out in Austin Austin's a great city we picked Denver I have friends there in Denver right LA I'm from LA so it, it's always been it hasn't been driven by money it's been driven by looking for cool places in a great community um, with people that I like. And that's, that's going to continue to be the, um, you know, kind of the backbone of what we do. Although we are going to be focusing in on a little bit more of a business plan and things like that, but it's still always going to be that fun, rebellious, we'll do whatever the hell we want to do. Right. It's, <laughs> it, nobody, nobody's telling us we can't. So we're just going to go do it. I mean, for we're going to North Adams, Massachusetts in 2019. Where is that? Why are we going there? I have a friend there that says it's a great creative community. And so we're going to go. It might not make sense 100% financially, but it's okay. We're just going to go and we're going to have a good time. 
the math tells me when I think about, uh, I've been, I should full disclosure, I've been to two events um, for that are outlier podcast festival events. I've been to Denver, Colorado and uh, LA and uh, missed Austin last year, but, um, and I'll be at Salt Lake city, which is coming up in January. And the events are so counterculture. It's crazy. But just if I'm, if I'm, you know, keeping my capitalist uh, hat on for just a minute uh, in, in the, in the spirit of the show, in my mind, as I do some back of the napkin math on it, uh, you're making money from these, from the attendees, which are extremely affordable events for attendees, by the way, they're not free, but they're very affordable. And the attendance is pretty, pretty rock solid for what these events are supposed to be. You're getting well over 100 attendees at every single event. You've got sponsors helping foot the bill for the venues and, and, um, and so forth. And so they're money makers for you. And I realize you're, you're kind of, you're humbly stating that this is not even a full-time pursuit for you. And yet everybody would recognize you as the founder. Everybody in this space, this community, the podcast space would recognize you as the founder of Outlier. And, it's, and it, it is making genuine money for you. And, and, and yet, one of the, the things I think that stands out about you is, um, you know, if somebody were to, to Google you and find you on LinkedIn, the, the headline is a filthy capitalist with a hippie heart. <laughs> like, it's just counterculture to its core, to its bones. Um, so, <laughs> as my, my wife, uh, I coined that term by the way for me, which is, which is, I guess it's true, right? <laughs> I, I'm shocked that you don't have a TM after that, by the yeah, way. Sure, I mean, sure. unless you pick that up from someplace, but, um, I, I look at what you're accomplishing with this and it's, it's everything that everybody on the inside the podcast world feels like podcasting is the indie podcasting world says podcasting is, and it's actually everything that everybody on the outside who has nothing to do with podcasting and makes some, makes fun of it almost feels like it is, which is the comment you made about two guys in a basement doing their thing. And that's the industry that you've kind of embraced like aggressively, which goes against numerous business principles. Not, not so much having a niche audience. That's a very s smart, you know, business idea, but um, having one that, you got to roll the dice a little bit with to see if you can make money uh, supporting the industry. And it definitely feels like that takes a backseat to you. That's a huge setup for where I want to go to with the question, which is when, when you evaluate Outlier as a business, a for-profit business, especially not just what you've accomplished with, um, I mean, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of attendees over the, at the events in the past, a very active community online through Facebook and elsewhere. As you look at what you've accomplished in the past and what you want to accomplish in the future, it doesn't feel like it's a risky move in a lot of ways as far as the audience you've chosen to embrace. But how do you, how do you evaluate Outlier as a, as a founder? How do you evaluate it as a business enterprise, not just a, an important movement to you? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I think I'll back up a little bit. I think I backed into the position that we're in because I was making decisions that weren't motivated again by money or a business plan or all those things. And I'm sitting here right now. So now we, we've done pretty good with the, the community we've been able to build with the kind of stuff that we're, that we're able to do. And so I think that was, we've been around for six years, but I still feel like a startup. Um, um, right. Cause I, again, we haven't been focusing on it hundred percent. And so I, I think we're in a perfect position right now 
where we have validated this idea of what Outlier is, the media and events. And people are into it. Uh, some of the people that attended in Austin flew out to Denver. The people that have been out to Denver flew out to LA. So we have a little bit of a, a following, not just a following, but people that are like ambassadors and like are really connected with with what we're trying to put together and the other people in the community. Um, and so again, we're, we're in a good position to now hit 2020 with all of our might, right? With all of my attention, with all of my resources and everything and everybody that we're bringing in to, to make it work. We have some money-making opportunities that are, that we're kind of putting together right now so that we come January, our event in January in Salt Lake city, we're going to launch a couple of different things to uh, make it a true business. And so one of the things that scares me and, and you and I kind of have been talking about this offline uh, a little bit, I don't want it to be motivated by money, even though that's important and, and we won't be able to do what we're trying to do without the revenue. Right. I just hope I don't get into the mindset of, well, we got to do a, as opposed to B because a is going to make generate more revenue. Uh, I hope we don't get into that position. Um, but hopefully I have advisors and, and a team that will steer me in the right direction. But, uh, uh, moving forward. Yeah. We're going to continue to do the indie thing. Um, and the events without all the bells and whistles, because that's what I like personally, um, with, uh, a component of making it bigger and better for sure. It's a hard stop here on the podcast conversation because we've, we're so deep into the conversation about building this, this, uh, this media and events company focused on the podcast industry that we're getting further away uh, from your background and who you are as a person. And I feel like that's an important part of this story as well. Um, we, we talked about you being in the freight industry, you know, 10 years ago, you were, um, uh, you were what, like a VP of sales with a logistics company, having been an account manager with a freight management company, and then a director of operations with another freight management company. And then eventually you owned your own. Uh, you were president of your own uh, freight management company that you ultimately sold. Like that consumed your life yeah, for years. For sure. yeah. How did you get your start in that industry to begin with? Was that a family thing or where, where did you get the start there? No, yeah, we, um, well, I served, uh, well, in high school, I didn't know what to do, right? I just kind of flown around, fooling around and, and not taking anything seriously. I served a, a, a mission for my church, the LDS church. Went out to New York for a couple of years as a missionary, came home, and I was like, oh, shoot, I'm 20, 21 now. I should probably act like an adult now and like figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I tried college for a little bit, dropped out three different times. I, I just couldn't sit through the general ed. You know, wasn't the, your thing. The, it wasn't my thing, right? I mean, I loved learning. I loved history, all that stuff, but I, I couldn't sit through those classes. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm going to go work a blue-collar job for the rest of my life, which was okay, right? I mean, um, and so I'm looking for a job. I'm, back then I was reading the paper, right? That's how old we are. Uh, and there was a, an ad saying, we're looking for a logistics manager. And it kind of gave a, a range of the the pay. And I was like, ooh, I want that pay. What the hell is a logistics manager? I, I didn't even know what logistics meant. But being young and cocky and stupid, I, I went out there and I interviewed with a guy and um, kind of just talked my way into a position that I had no idea uh, what it was or how to run. And it was a startup and I got, I got a position there and, and I worked there for three years and I learned everything I could about logistics. There was a, you know, obviously a cap of how much I could do there. 
After that, I worked at the Port of Long Beach uh, as a vessel superintendent, right, with those big ships and containers, doing that for for another little while, and then kind of went from company to company in sales and operations and, and everything else, kind of learning all I could uh, in, in logistics and freight management. And when I felt comfortable enough that I can do the same thing myself, then, you know, because I always had the entrepreneurial spirit in me, I quit and I started my own job. Actually, I didn't quit. My last job, I was fired on my birthday. And then the day after my birthday, I started capital freight management, which which, which I did for, for four or five years. Why were you fired? I think they got they got uh, wind of the fact that I was going to be starting my own freight management company, and so they were like, "Yeah, you're a good guy, but we'll see you around." And I was like, "Okay." Fair slight enough. slight conflict of interest yeah, <laughs> that's right. there. Right. If if I were to talk to your uh, family members, um, let's call it the pre-LDS church mission ever. Uh, you're 17 or 18 or something like that. Um, how would they have described you back then? Uh, crazy probably. Right. I was quiet. Um, I didn't get into a lot of trouble, you know, officially I didn't get into a lot of trouble. Um, but I, I, I didn't do anything that most people my age should have been doing. Right. I, I, I skipped a lot of classes in high school, um, got into a few fights, right. I, all that stuff. But I was, I was quiet and, but all my, even though I didn't show up to a lot of my classes and didn't do a lot of the work, all my teachers loved me. Like I was respectful and helpful and kind, uh, but I just, they were like, where's your homework? Ah, I didn't feel like doing it, you know, or where were you the last couple of weeks? I was at the beach, right? And so that's, I think they'll describe me as undisciplined and a little bit crazy. What was the social group that you hung around? I hung out with uh, outliers. You know, even though I was, uh, I, I was at the sports, I didn't, we didn't, uh, I didn't hang out with the jocks or I didn't hang out with the nerdy kids. I just kind of hung out with, you know, normal kids that loved the music and loved uh, hanging out with each other. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate 
easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn jobs. I've used it myself and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. Was there anybody in particular at that age that you looked up to that you were trying to emulate or that you aspired to be like and that was causing this sort of conflict in you and why you why you why and the reason why you felt like you're an outlier or, or was it just some slightly aimless and I don't mean that in a in a rude way I just mean that you know you just didn't have any specific um path that you wanted to follow yeah, I didn't have a specific path, right? I was raised by a single mom in a home full of women, right? My grandma raised me while my mom worked. Uh, I had two sisters and I didn't have any, I really didn't have any male um, influence in my life until uh, I got a little bit older. And so I didn't, nobody talked to me about how to be a man. Nobody talked about uh, how to do better in school. Like I just kind of lived that life all by myself, figuring it out on my own. And so yeah, no, the, the pe- when you asked that question, the people that kind of came to mind, which is random, but Vin Scully, right, the the announcer for the Dodgers, I used to listen to, to him every summer, right, in, in, by myself in my room. Um, and so he had a big influence just because he was a a, a voice that I liked and that I uh, listened to. And you know, he, he was kind of comforting for whatever reason. And uh, this is going to be fun. Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses, right? I love the what? music. He he didn't care about anything. He didn't care if he showed up two hours late for his own concerts. And I was like, oh, that's that's legit. Like, I'm that's cool. And so I was like, I didn't care about anything at that point in my life, um, other than music and hanging out with girls. Yeah, everything else could just be, um, can go away, and I was completely fine with that. All right, so I'm glad I asked about this because this clearly shows where the uh, groundwork or the foundation was being laid for your appreciation and love for the outlier type. Um, in fact, if I had to ask, how would you actually define an outlier? I would say an outlier uh, is somebody that is not of the norm, right? Not in the group. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but I find myself outside of the mainstream or outside of the group, whether it's right careers or friends or church or whatever it is, I'm usually outside of the main um, uh, group. And, and I'm okay with that. Right? I, I've, I'd like to think that I've always kind of been comfortable in my own skin. Um, even though I was young and stupid and all that stuff, I was, I was always comfortable and confident, maybe even a little bit cocky uh, early on. And so, yeah, I define an outlier as somebody that's kind of doing their own thing um, and not caring about what other people are saying. And how would we have seen that evident in your prior life in the freight industry? Yeah, it's, I would go hard and, in, in these different jobs. And other than the first job, my first real job where I in the startup where I kind of was there for three years, I didn't last longer than a year in all these different jobs that I had because I either was bored um, and quit or I was doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. And I got fired. I've been fired like, you know, 15 times probably in my career. 
Uh, and my, you know, I kind of wear that as a badge of honor. My wife is like, don't share that with people. And I'm like, why not? That's, that's my life and that's okay. So yeah, it, that's where it manifested, right? Again, people that like me, people I got along with my coworkers, most of my uh, bosses and, and directors and things like that. But I just, I wanted to do my own thing and go my own way. And it didn't always fit with the company culture. And so I was like, oh, several times. Well, that is, I feel like, um, while y- your podcast and your community is called Outlier, I feel like accidentally over time, um, all of the guests that we've had on this show have represented that in spirit. At the very least, they were either people who were towing the line and were following the path that you're supposed to follow, the most safe, secure, predictable path, and they're following that path. And at some point in time, they they felt like, and usually earlier uh, rather than later for most of my guests, they felt like this is not comfortable. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not who I'm supposed to be. This is not what I'm supposed to be. This is not the the wall my ladder is supposed to be against. Any of that sort of thing. And like I said, some, for some of them, they, they would figure it out when they're in college still. They would start building something, freelancing on the side, and then that thing would become their thing. For others, it took them graduating from school, getting a first job and being bored to, t- you know, bored out of their gourd uh, during that first job. And they just would start to moonlight with something else. And that would take on a life of its own. But that's absolutely the story. And in, in fact, many of them have told me in their, in my interviews with them that it has completely changed their, their notion of what a, what an education is and whether the educational system is really built properly to support that type of person at all. Um, and then also it's taught them that um, the definition of a career is changing rapidly before our eyes. And what we think is the safe, predictable route is actually not. And the, I mean, outlier, if you talk statistically, an outlier has to be away from the norm. But um, the outlier way is almost, they would, I think, say, is the more sure path to whatever you want to call it, success or happiness or self-actualization, <laughs> I guess, if we're looking at the hierarchy of needs you know it feels like that that's the actually the more sure path to being having a little bit of peace of mind is you being in control of where you're going yeah and and you hit a a lot of uh good points here one of the ones that that you were talking about what is what does it look like right that that path that that is it working at a company for 40 years and then retiring and getting your you know your gold watch and stuff that's not realistic for the most part anymore right i feel like we're all kind of um, free agents, right? We, we, we don't have that, uh, company, uh, loyalty for the most part. Not that that's a bad thing or anything. Um, we just kind of go from project to project. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming you've talked to a lot of these people and it's, and it's great and it's fantastic. And it's only getting bigger and better as the new generation comes in. One of the other things you talked about, right? I think if, if I had the traditional mother and father at home, right? We're immigrants, right? We, we kind of, lived a little bit of a different life growing up in, in, in LA. I think if, if that was the case for me, I would have had more pressure into go get a four year degree, go work mm-hmm. at a stable job right. and all that. But because I didn't see it at home and nobody was pushing me to go do this, um, just being young and foolish. Again, I think I stumbled upon what I'm doing now and luckily it's worked out. Um, you know, it wasn't always fun. It wasn't always easy, but I'm pretty comfortable in the position that we're in right now and what the future holds. I mean, I, I'm 43. I still have a lot of fight in me and that's what it's going to be for the next, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. 
43, you're you're not even at the halfway point at this point. <laughs> so you, a lot of fight in you. I would think you have most of your fight still in you as well. All right, so let's get back to the business piece because I think I think the philosophical piece I think is important because it gets us inside the head of a person who thinks like you, who has not wanted to comply <laughs> with how the system wants us to think, act, and so forth. And um, I think that that that's important for people to be able to appreciate that there is a different wiring that either some people come here with or they develop over time. They realize, you know what, this is not how I'm going to be my best me, um, so to speak. You know, and, but and Real quick before we go, I, I don't want it to sound like um, this is kind of the path that I chose because I, it's cool or because, you know, screw authority and all that stuff. I, I physically, emotionally uh, struggle when I'm tied down to, to that kind of stuff, right? I mean, um, if it was between, you know, feeding my family and kind of uh, getting a, a job with the shirt and a tie 40 hours a week, I would truly, as much as I love my family, I, I would struggle with that. And so there's something in me that's, not because I'm trying to be different or anything. I truly believe that I wouldn't be able to do it. You'd go, you'd, you'd literally be difficult to be around. You'd be stir crazy oh, because absolutely. you'd be absolutely. You'd be, yeah. It's the whole authentic self thing, right? Then kind of do some of the things that I've done in the past or some of the things that some of our, you know, both of our friends and colleagues are doing. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Yeah. All right, so let's get back to outliers of business. <laughs> um, like I said, I think it's important to cover that kind of ground because that it, it shapes the picture for what you have accomplished and why you think the way you do and how you will how you go about building your business today. So outlier the business as as a, as the idea. Clearly, there was not a master plan. There was no blueprint that you followed, and rarely is there with the people I talk to. But in your case, as the vision for what you wanted to accomplish through Outlier as it unfolded as six months would go by, another a year would go by. You know, we're talking six years here of time that you've had your the Outlier brand has existed. So it's not like and the events only started a couple of years ago, but the Outlier brand's been around for a while and you've used it in a variety of ways with the entrepreneurial consulting and so forth after you sold your business. And as time has gone by and Outlier's vision in your mind has changed or evolved, what have, you, what have you kind of done to start to build your own contribution to your community, to the podcast community, so that you could start launching events and know that they would be successful? Does that make sense? Like, I bet you there's, there could be other people out here who felt like, you know what, we should do our own little, uh, put on our own little nonprofit, or here in San Diego, we should put on this event for people who do web design work, and we'll have meetups and all this sort of thing. But well, would anybody come? I'm sure there's people that have thought about this type of thing all the time. You chose a space, and it's kind of irrelevant that it's a podcast space, but you you started to contribute in a certain way to a space in a way where you finally felt comfortable that you could put on events and they would be break-even or profitable at, in the earliest days. How did you, what, did, what were the steps that you took to start to find your way in that community, in the podcast community? Yeah, I wish I had a sexy answer for that, but... Uh, again, it was just things that I was interested in when we had a co-working space. So we've had 200, we've hosted 200 plus events, uh, in the six years that, that we've done, uh, again, in the beginning, more entrepreneurial events, but in our co-working space, we started to host these smaller meetups and events. And, you know, we would fly speakers in from, from San Francisco and, and all over the, the U S 
and they were well attended and and it was the energy that was there was was it was addicting honestly knowing that i we kind of put this together with cool people in a room and i keep going back to this but magic was happening right it, with those connections um and, and so that's kind of what we did and it, we've had some missteps and we've had some events where we had to cancel and you know eat some humble pie because of it um but overall we've we've kind of figured out the formula and honestly and i hope this doesn't sound weird the formula is me doing whatever i want what what kind of event do i want to go to i'm going to go put on that event right the podcasting stuff happened because i wanted to go to podcast movement or podfest in uh, in florida or some of these other podcasting events and festivals but there was always a wedding a funeral family vacation so i couldn't attend so we're like man we run events might as well put our, our own events and because the first one was such a hit uh, but how do you make sure people attend those events yeah well we we put it out to the world right with our with our podcast 400 plus episodes we met we've made a lot of friends people enjoy being on our show for the most part those are the people that i invite to come speak and for the most part they have a pretty decent following and they come speak on our stage for free because i'd like to think that they had a great experience not just with me but with our community uh and so yeah i mean we've had some events where you know we're expecting 150 one of them you know most of them early on 300 and we would get 100 people which was not great but it was still fine those 100 people that showed up were great and i have no shame kind of right if if i'm expecting 300 and 100 show up so what so what like what's going to happen i'm a little embarrassed yeah that we had 100 people instead of 300 people when i said that we were going to have you know we have 300 seats there so what it's not the end well you lose money i mean you can also that can also happen <laughs> but we we run a very and you've been to my events a very lean event we don't have all the bells and whistles right we don't have uh, a, a huge stage with all the banners and stuff uh, we pride ourselves in being able to bring good speakers and good content when, with our workshops and, and on our stage. Um, and again, we don't really pay any speakers. Uh, I think in the history, in the six years, we've only paid three speakers to come attend or, or to come uh, and speak. Everybody else comes because they've had a good experience with us. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that we've lost any money on any of the events that we've had. Um, not because we're great, but just because we were cheap about it. It, that's well, so let's talk about let's talk in practical ways about what you do then to build that community and to be a part over time then um since none of it was was thought out and none of it was planned but it has been a reality you've got the podcast you've got the facebook group you've got your presence obviously on linkedin like we all we all do nowadays um you've you've the you've got the this network of extremely diverse and in unique ways highly influential people that are not only aware of you, but now aware of the, the outlier brand who will evangelize the fact that they have been a part of the event, whether they spoke at the event or they attended the event because it was nearby. Like you have just these little subtle ways that you have touch points with people. Um, obviously, we're all on social media. So in a lot of ways, some people might be saying, well, duh, everybody does social media. But um, do you feel like you have, have built your presence and even the outlier brands presence in a 
in a uh, very, I don't know, a tactical or strategic way? Do, do you have you done it, gone about it in a certain way, or have you just tried to be? Oh, I'm just trying to be as authentic as I can, and 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 make sure I attract people that I like to be around. <laughs> Is it that simple? Uh, kinda, yeah. It's uh, the people that I've had on my show are people that I personally am curious about, right? And so that's why I'd like to think that the episodes are pretty good because. I'm asking questions that I personally want to know, right? Having you on our show, I wanted to get to know you and, and the things you were doing. And we had a great connection. A lot of the people that we have on our show were great connections and people that attend our stuff. And so I, I try to put that human element and I try to be as curious as I can with, with everybody that attends, right? I try to make an effort to talk to everybody and meet everybody. Um, and so, yeah, that, man, I'm, I'm horrible at marketing. I, I don't know how to do social media effectively. But where I think we we thrive and where we shine a little bit, again, it's those face to face meetings uh, in person or things like this on the podcast where we get to engage at, on a real level. And so I think, um, right, I'm not the fastest, I'm not the best looking, I'm not the the richest, I'm not the whatever the most creative. But I'd like to think that people are okay talking to me, right? And and I, I'd like to think that I'm pleasant enough where and curious enough about them that they feel like there was some value added there when, when we spent some time together and that's it. There, there, there's not a big master plan behind it. It's just me being curious and, and wanting to connect with people. So I feel like if I, if someone were to ask me, what is, um, what is Evers master plan or what is his approach to building his business so that I can learn from it? If someone were to ask me that, well, besides the fact that I would struggle, <laughs> but I, I would probably say this, because here's what's emerging for me. I, I would probably say this. There's, there's the common approach that people are taking in building businesses where they are a big part of the business. Like it's a professional service and they're the, they're the face of it because they're the one delivering the service, web design or whatever it is, you know, um, or founders of SaaS companies, let's say, who they're the founder. Everyone knows they're the founder. They run in circles with other founders. And so they're the one that's known as the guy behind or the, the woman behind this company, right? So I totally get that. And that's the case with you too. Everyone associates outlier with ever. But in a lot of ways, it feels like to me, rather than tra- turn that into you are the thought leader, you are the, um, uh, you are the guide, it feels a little bit more like you prefer to be the guy who's the facilitator like you you're not like a master networker necessarily but you'd prefer to facilitate opportunities for people to start to get to know one another learn from each other and gather together because they're similar to one another or could learn from one another even if they're not similar to to one another and you're perfectly fine with just having made that happen without the spotlight having to be on ever. And it's funny, you nailed that, right? Right in the head, right? Yeah, and I think that goes back to my logistics days. My, you know, I, I, I'm behind the scenes making sure everything kind of comes together. And that's kind of what it feels like in the approach that I'm trying to take when it comes to these these festivals. I mean, you've been to them. Wait a minute, are you telling me that, that <laughs> your your events business is actually just an extension of your freight business in a lot yeah, of ways? That's right, yeah, it's, and, but it's true, right? And and one of the things that I that I like um, I don't usually give keynotes at my own events. I don't run workshops. I don't do any of that stuff. Like you mentioned, I bring these people together, but I enjoy putting the spotlight 
on amazing people. Uh, and again, we do have these uh, bigger names coming to our events, but I love having some of these no names um, that nobody knows about, but are but have knowledge or whatever they want to talk about, and putting a spotlight on them. It, it, it I really enjoy that, and it's uh, I, I think it's evident in, in the 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 attendees and their response to it. You know, I, I like you. Obviously, you have some value, and and that's why I keep inviting you back onto my stage, right? And there's a handful of those people that, no matter where I go and no matter what I do, if you are available, I would want you on my stage. And so, right, you get all the spotlight for that hour, hour and a half. I'm completely fine with that. I enjoy that. So what I don't think people fully appreciate is that podcasting is one of those worlds that's that's unique um, in this way. As much as we're talking about what you know an indie podcaster is like and what an outlier is like and so forth, uh, there is a lot of money being thrown around in the industry right now. There's a lot of money being uh, thrown to advertising in the industry. Uh, it's moving very quickly. NPR has suggested its revenue that's coming now from, uh, from sponsorships is going to far exceed its past. Uh, revenue from like donations, the traditional route we think of NPR when it when it makes its money through its drives and so forth. Uh, it there's just money pouring into the industry. Many people know that Spotify is a big player in the industry, making a lot of acquisition moves. So there's a lot of big moving move, move money moving around the industry, and and therefore people are emerging as pseudo celebrities in the inter- in the space. And when I say pseudo celebrities, what I mean is is people who are producing shows that are extraordinary shows. You know, they're they're shows that um, are perfect for the podcast space and that they're audio stories. But if you were if they were to be a, adapted for the screen in some way, like a date a version of a Dateline show that started as a true crime show, and this is starting to happen actually anyway, um, you would feel wowed by the the quality. And the reason I mention that is these events. I've been to two so far now, and the events are attracting both the people you mentioned who want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons uh, as a group and and just have some fun, but they're also attracting people who are, I would call them professional story producers, professional producers in these realms of large, well-funded, well-heeled production companies. It's attracting everybody. And I think that's because there's a part of podcasting that feels outlier just by its very nature. And that's what's amazing about the business and your business is that it's attracting that sort of um, like the outlier in all of us, I right. guess in some ways yeah. is, is what it's attracting. All right, so let's look ahead into the future. For you want Outlier to be a great sustainable business, I can tell, not because you want to you know, make it rich, but clearly because you want people to have a voice who may feel like they're the, they are the outsider and outlier, right? Um, so what do you feel like needs to happen for your company outlier to reach its objectives over the next 12 months? Like what do you, if you, as you help us see behind the curtain a little bit, like what are your plans for the next 12 months that need to happen for outlier to be a, you know, a bigger presence in the podcast world and to be a nice moneymaker for you as well. And what are you excited to do for people that, uh, that want their voice heard? Yeah. Um, first of all, I need to commit to it. Right, we've talked about this a couple of different times. I haven't been committed to it. So the first thing is commit to it. Twenty twenty, I'm all in. Uh, but uh, we've, I mean, we can go down the list. We are going to continue to grow the podcast, and the podcast is not uh, 
you know, we don't have ads or anything like that on it. It's just people that I enjoy talking to. But the events, we want to make them um, not necessarily bigger in attendance, but we want to we want to be able to kind of put in the time and effort uh, we need to in order to let the world know that we're coming to their city for the most part. We don't want to go to Chicago. We don't want to go to New York. We don't want to go to any of those places. We want to go to these outlier communities, right? We, we're you want to go to the, a suburb in Ohio and one in Massachusetts. And, right. we, we're taking the show to them, right? Um, uh, and on top of that, we feel like with our voice and trying to uh, bring in other people's uh, ideas and thoughts, we're going to build a, a magazine, an online magazine to uh, bring out the stories that we're seeing at the festivals. We don't live stream our events because I, I think if you're not there, it, it doesn't 100% make sense. The Again, the energy, the vibe, the magic that happens there. Um, and so we want to take a piece of that vibe and that energy and that value and put it into uh, the magazine where it's a little bit more scalable and we were able to kind of focus and feature a lot of these cool people, like you mentioned, that are doing uh, great, they're producing great podcasts, mm-hmm. right? From the, from the from the college student to the stay-at-home mom to the professional that's been doing it for 10, 15 years, uh, the magazine is going to be a money, is going to bring in revenue because of the traditional stuff, ads and you know, uh, content-related uh, sponsorships and things like that. But uh, for the most part, it's to kind of get the word out about outliers around the world in podcasting. What's funny is um, there are so many entrepreneurs out there who, who rush to build something that has a value that solves a problem, right? This is, this is, they see either it's a, their own pain point or something like that, or they see an industry that's got inefficiencies and their mind just automatically gravitates towards, oh, I could fix that. I could build a software product that could fix that. And they think in terms of see a need, fill a need type of uh, mindset about building a business. In your case, it has a very movement type of quality to it. it has a very, you know, it's a, it's almost like a ph- philosophical type of environment or a philosophical type of uh, mindset as opposed to a fill a need. I want to fill it or see a need and fill it. Um, are there fears that you have then? Because I wouldn't call this a passion business necessarily, but I see you as being passionate about the the community. So are there fears that you have about building a business for a community and if the business doesn't flourish, the community gets let down in some ways. Do you have fears about the business in that way? Yeah. What, what you just mentioned, but my first fear is that I am going to lose interest and get bored uh, and then do something else, right? I mean, that's... that's is that a, just because that, that's a personality that's flaw what, that you're concerned about? I love building, right? I don't want to manage. I, I love building. Anyway, but yeah, putting a lot of more time and effort into building this community and then something happens or there's a bigger player or just we're not connecting. Uh, yeah, that, that's a fear, uh, a, a fear that's, you know, I'm, everything we do is for the community, right? We make money off the community. I'd like to think that we bring value, value to the community. But if the community is not there, we'll, you know, our events are irrelevant. The podcast is who cares, right? I could be, um, it, it's just, it's not going to make sense. So my fear is, yeah, that. I lose, I become this fat cat that kind of has lost touch with the indie podcaster uh, or, you know, the, the movement on the ground. Uh, I, I, that's why I like going to different cities and kind of shaking hands with kids and babies, right? And so I, I don't want to get too far out from, from my own community. Are there elements of your past life 
that factor in to how you'll, you know, your, your past ownership of a freight management company uh, and the exit associated with that, that creep into your thinking of what you want to do and how you want to do it with Outlier? Uh, yeah, well, that, so talking about that fear again, uh, I loved building Outlier, or I, I enjoyed and loved building Capital Freight Management, my, my company. Um, to a certain point, and then once I needed to manage it, then that's when I was started to get bored and decide, you know, decided to sell it at, at uh, the time that we did. So yeah, um, I see the same patterns. I'm all, you know, I'm I'm I enjoy building this whole thing, and so if I get bored at some point, that's why we. I feel like it's been part time and it's been all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's scary how. I'm still the same guy that I was when I was 21, right? I mean, I, I've obviously learned some lessons. We all have, but I'm just a, I feel like a punk kid doing whatever I want because nobody's telling me that I can't. And even if they're telling me that, that I can't, I'm not listening. Um, and so it's funny because when I, I have some mentorship opportunities at the local university, right? I go in, we teach and all that stuff. And I wouldn't recommend them doing what, what I've done in my career, right? Because it doesn't make sense, especially the last six years. Um, I kind of tell them the opposite. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense to start off the way I did with Outlier because in the first two years, we didn't even know what Outlier was. Um, and now that I'm focused and, and have a good idea and have found this pretty amazing community, then now it I feels like we can kind of go full speed ahead. You don't strike me as somebody who needs permission to do anything as a next step, no. Good. That's right. That's right. Ever, uh, we've got one last one last series of questions I want to ask you, in, and and then I will let you run for the day or for the weekend. Um, I have a segment that I do with all my guests now, and it's called the three-in-one segment, and it's designed to take everything that we've been talking about and throw it in the trash because it doesn't matter for this last piece. I want to get into, as a parting gift <laughs> to our listeners, who you are as a person uh, at your deepest inside level. So you play this game with me. I got three questions. One quick answer for each one of these three questions. All right. I need one principle from you. Maybe a value. One principle or value that you believe in that most people don't. Oh, that most people don't. Uh, Above anything else, I, I would say play to your strengths. One behavior or habit that you try to stick to no matter what. And it doesn't even have to be a business one, by the way, but one behavior or habit that you try to make a regular part of your life, no matter your circumstances, setting, or anything like that. Continuing to be uh, curious about everything. That's a good one. I like that. All right. And then one person that you take your cues from or you're inspired by and try to emulate. Uh, now, um, I, I think it's a combination of a lot of different people, but I guess if I had to pick one, uh, I... I it's foolish, but I would still kind of go back to Axel Rose, maybe, right? It's not, I, I'm not that big of a fan anymore, but he ran his, uh, his own life is right. He was in charge of that movement and he was so creative. So yeah, weird as it sounds, I think, uh, Axel Rose's philosophy in life. Yeah. I, I want to like throw my hand up in the air and say, yeah, go, go. But then I sit there and think he's got three young sons, I think at home and he's got to be careful what he wishes for sometimes if That's he right. only know, knew That's what right. the future lies. He's got teenagers ahead of himself still. Uh, that, that is- Ever, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been an awesome talking to you again.
yeah, it's uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for this opportunity. It's uh, I'm a big fan of your show, so thanks for having me on. That was the story of Ever Gonzalez, founder of Outlier. Friends, it has been my deepest pleasure bringing you these stories of founders the last two years. We've spoken to some heavyweight leaders in online business, accomplished entrepreneurs who've sold their companies for tens of millions, startup entrepreneurs who've scaled their thing big enough to pay for themselves, but who are still finding their way. We've talked about their inspiration, their why, their how, and their what's next. I'm grateful for you listening to me share these stories and asking them questions to uncover those whys, what's, and how's. And as Preston takes over Freelance the Founder heading into 2020, the show, the show is in great hands. So this is goodbye from me for now, but I hope you'll join me with subdivisions.fm for something entirely different while also staying right here with Freelance the Founder for the best show for freelancers, solopreneurs, and aspiring entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.